Numbers chapter 11. We'll start reading from verse 24. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spake unto them, unto him and took of the spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the 70 elders. It came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad. The name of the other, Medad. And the spirit rested upon them, and they were of them that were written. But went not out into the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp, and there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, was of his young men, answered and said, My Lord, Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses got him into the camp, he and the elders of Israel. You know the Lord will bless the reading of his own word. Let's just bow again in a word of prayer. Father, do thank you for every sense of your presence, for the singing and the songs that have went before. We ask you now to settle us in your holy place. Lord, that we would be conscious of your spirit, that we would be conscious that Jesus is here. Speak to our hearts. Speak into our lives. Speak how you will, Father, we ask. We need you. We need you to talk to us and to speak to us. We need you to direct us and guide us. We need you, Lord, to call us. Whatever way you deem fit. Glorify the name of the Lord Jesus. And if there is one that has not yet come to saving faith in him, we pray, Lord, ere this night be over, that they would come to know him, to know him who is life eternal, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Two men are mentioned in these two verses, Eldad and Medad. And some of the commentators say that they are under insubordination to Moses because they did not come out of the camp that is the, the wilderness camp of Israel to the tabernacle. That they didn't come from among the people when the rest came. So they were not adhering to spiritual authority. But I beg to differ. While we believe in headship and spiritual authority, the Bible tells us it was the Spirit of the Lord that came upon these men. Moses, with the discerning of the Spirit, recognizes it. And when a young Joshua comes to him, 
says, forbid them. In verse 29, it says, Moses said unto him, envious thou for my sake. Joshua, are you worried about what might happen in my position? See, the man, of, the man of God was not worried because God had called him. God had anointed him. So the man of God or the woman of God who are called and anointed of God, they're not too worried about position. But rather they see the bigger picture. They see that the Lord moves in other places and in other ways apart from themselves and their own thinking. The tabernacle, the place where God's presence would come down. Now outside of the tabernacle is the picture of when the tabernacle is destroyed in AD 70 after Christ is crucified and risen again. We find that at this time in AD 70, the temple is destroyed. Why? That the Spirit of God would move. And so we see these men with the Spirit of God upon them and a type of what would come to happen when the apostles went forth with the anointing of the Holy Ghost, preaching on to the lost sheep. Now notice this. Two verses. Many commentators think they may be two brothers. Two brothers. But whether they are or not, we don't know. But nevertheless, they are definitely now two prophets. Two prophets. They both speak and they prophesied when the Holy Ghost came upon them. Now something to notice also is in two short verses, two simple verses in the whole of the Bible, their names are mentioned and nowhere else. Go home and get a concordance out or look up your blue letter Bible online, whatever way you look it up. Check out their names and they're only mentioned in the whole of Holy Writ in these two verses and in nowhere else. And although it's only two verses that they're mentioned in, yet, brothers and sisters, their name has been recorded by God forever. Their name has been recorded by God forever. Numbers 11, verse 26. Notice what it says. But there remained two of the men in the camp. What do they mean, two of the men in the camp? It says in verse 26, after it gives their name, Eldad was the name of one, and Medad the other, the Spirit rested upon them. They were of them that were written. Who were them that were written? Well, we just need to go back onto the previous verse. Two of the 70 elders whom the Lord took the Spirit of Moses, or that was the Holy Ghost, who rested in Moses, and he led it upon 70 elders, 70 men to go out and do the work for his kingdom. These two men were under the anointing of God. Now, some people think that maybe, well, they didn't hear the call to come back to the tabernacle. Maybe so. Listen, we do not know. But nevertheless, these men were anointed of the Spirit. They were anointed of the Holy Ghost. So the sacred inspired writer, who is actually Moses himself, and that's strange, that Moses speaks about this and the Holy Ghost brings it to Moses' mind. You sort of think that many times where you and I, we would have something happen in our lives or something sad in our lives. We remember it for a while or even something significant, but it can drift away in our memory. But these two men, whatever had happened in the camp, these two men was triggered in the very conscience of Moses. The Holy Spirit brings it up into Moses' pen that he would take his pen, uh, as it were, and write down the names of these men. 
They were not left out by simply stating there were two men in the camp. Listen, two verses, what does it matter? Two verses, what does it matter? What if the Lord says, just write, Moses, there were two men in the camp and the prophesy. But God didn't think of it in that matter, manner, and God didn't want it that way. There was an importance that had happened here, it says, but there remained two men in the camp. The importance of this happening and the difference in what had happened from Moses being the sole leader now to the Spirit, now resting on others. Moses could see a growing, a growing of people in the Lord's camp. Moses recognizing this. He says, it says in verse 26, but there remained two men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, the name of the other, Medad. And so we're told in two verses that God had their name written down forever. Now you need to get this. There were two men in the camp and the prophesied, that's enough. Who were they? We don't know. We don't know. God knew. God says it is Eldad, it is Medad, whether it's one verse, one line, or wherever it is, when God has your name marked, when God has your name in his own hand, and we'll look at it, when God has your name, you're in him forever. You're with him forever. You're his for eternity. Two verses yet remembered forever. For example, in Mark 14, we'll not look at it for time's sake, verses 3 to 9. The Lord Jesus, two nights before the Passover, he's in Simon the leper's house, and a woman comes, and she breaks an alabaster box full of spikenard, the precious ointment, and pours it over the head of the Savior. He's thinking of Calvary. Everyone else is thinking of eating, but this woman, she catches his spirit. And she does a beautiful and a lovely and a wonderful thing by pouring out this alabaster box over the head of the Lord Jesus. She anoints him. And listen to what the Lord Jesus said after some said, this could be sold and given to the poor. Now this what happened actually in Bethany. And the reason they said that because there was a big poor house in Bethany. There was a house where all the poor gathered and they tried to feed them and look after them. And they're saying, this could be given to the poor house. And now she's breaking it and giving it to you. Friend, can I tell you something? There's nothing this world could afford. And there's nothing this world and this world could afford that's unworthy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the reply of the Lord. Verily I say unto you, whosoever this gospel shall be preached, notice throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken for a memorial of her. This woman who did this simple one-time act in the name of the Lord, listen, it was marked in heaven forever. We're talking about it tonight. We're speaking about it tonight. We're hearing about it tonight. And Jesus in that house, who would have thought 2,000 years ago, sitting in a little house over in Palestine or Canaan land, sitting there in a little group with Simon the leper and others. And this woman breaking this box, who would have thought that you and I would be speaking about it tonight? But yet heaven will remember it forever. 
Heaven remembers it forever. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, listen to what it says for those who are serving Christ. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name. Notice, God remembers. There's just two men who prophesied. It's just a wee woman that broke an alabaster box and poured the perfume over his head. That's all it is. God says, no, with a heart that they have done this in, with the spirit they have come under and yielded themselves to, this is forever remembered and marked in heaven. Here's one for those who think they get away with things. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 15 says, That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth that which is past. Now that seems like some sort of conundrum, doesn't it? Maybe girls, you could put that up for me. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 15, so people can see it. If you've got it in your Bible, look it up. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth that which is past. What does it mean? Hebrew scholar Taylor Lewis penned it well when he penned it like this. I'll quote Taylor Lewis. He says, The Hebrew words here call up the idea of a fleeing murderer with the avenger or the inquisitor behind him. The figure here, however strange it may seem, can hardly be mistaken. God will make inquisition for that which is pursued. That which has gone from us, seemingly fled away, as though it had escaped forever. They are all gone, these past ages of wrong. They shall be called up again. They shall be overtaken and made to stand in their lot at some latter day of judgment and inquisition. God shall arraign these homicidal centuries. He shall call to them and they shall say, here we are. Let me put it like this. Those who have slain the martyrs, the martyrs of Smithfield, and the blood of the saints, those who have slain the innocent, those who seemingly have got away with corruption in their lives and have destroyed many others, those who have maybe done something way years ago in the past and think now time has forgotten it, and so they're free to go on in their life, it says that God will call it up and bring it all to remembrance. He says, I have not forgotten. God has not forgot the atrocities of Ulster. God has not forgotten the innocents, whatever side they're from. God has not forgotten the things that has happened. And God will bring them up to men and women who think they've gotten away with it and die in that state. God has not forgotten the secret sin that men have done and that women have done and have left there years ago thinking, well, I'll just carry on with life. Nobody's found me out. God didn't forget those in the BBC. Think about it. 
years of abuse of wee ones, young children, young people, and now God is bringing it up. Think of how it will be when those who have killed little children, those who have committed mass murder around the world, think of it when those who have lain wait for a loved one coming home to shoot them dead at their gate. Think of what it will happen on that day when men and women who have just forgotten their little sin that they did way years ago have never repented of their sin, it says. God is like the avenger. He is the inquisitor. He is the pursuer. And he will come and bring all the ages up before him. All the wicked men and women of time will be brought before him. God has not forgot. You see, it's forever written in heaven. It's forever remembered. God remembers even when time forgets. I want to say it again, brother and sisters, friend. God remembers even when time forgets. Even when time has passed for years, God still remembers. In Numbers 11 and verse 26, look at what it says. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, the name of the other, Medad. Notice, while God was interested in the national issues of Israel, he was also interested in the personal lives of these individuals too. And God is interested in the finer details of his creation and of his people. For example, he tells us that a sparrow shall not fall to the ground without your father or without your father knowing it. The idea is not just that it dies, but it gives the idea of one hopping from one higher branch to a lower. Every little hop of a bird from a higher branch to a lower and back again, God has it in remembrance. God has it in recording. He tells us of finer details. He speaks of the 99 sheep and one that is lost and the good shepherd goes out seeking the one sheep. He speaks of the finer things. He tells us that the very hairs of our head are all numbered. He tells us he puts our tears into a bottle and he writes them in a book. Revelation chapter 21, for example, it says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. I think that's beautiful. It doesn't say that your parents in the kingdom, it doesn't say that your, your, your brethren or your sisters, it doesn't say your, your, your aunties or uncles who are saved and in the kingdom, it doesn't say another Christian shall wipe away your tears, neither does it say an angel, an archangel or a great angel shall wipe away the tears from your eyes, but God himself shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. Oh, the finer details of God. The finer details that he shows in his word to tell you how much he loves you and thinks of you. He says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall be any more pain for the former things are passed away. God's going to do it. Oh, God shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. The gracious, the compassionate, attentive, kind, uncurring Christ will do it all. Brothers and sisters, 
You see, he's interested in finer details, and he's interested in that which is seemingly insignificant to even you and I. He's interested in the easily forgotten or the far forgotten things that are in our past, and he's interested in you. He's interested in your soul. He's interested in your eternal well-being. And he was interested in these two men. And so it doesn't just stop. There were two men in the camp. God says, no, no. I'm so interested. I know their names. Eldad and Medad. That's all we know about them. In Numbers 11 and 26, when he says Eldad and Medad, it makes me think of how he knew their names, and he knows your name too. For example, in Isaiah 43 and verse 1, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. Thou art mine. I've called you by your name. The day and the hour, the conviction came to my heart. And it was my heart. It was my name. It was me who was being called. It didn't matter about everybody else in the whole wide world. God was calling me. He was speaking to me. And he says, I've called thee by thy name. And thou art mine. See, friend, in this verse we have, Now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, the form thee, O Israel. Here we have the creator of Christ. I have redeemed thee. We have Calvary's Christ. I have called thee by my name, thy name, thou art mine. We have the carrying Christ. In Isaiah 49 and verse 6, it says, Behold, it says, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Charles Wesley wrote, My name is written on his hands. My name is written on his hands. Brother, sister, your name is written on his hands. Nail scarred hands. Oh, we look and we see nail scars. When the father looks, he sees my name. He sees your name. In Philippians 4 and 3, it said, Paul speaks of those who are written in the book of life. See, it's for the names are down forever. In Revelation 20 and verse 15, at the great white throne judgment. When the Christ rejecter and the sinner stands before him, it says at the end of, the, of this, uh, it says in Revelation 20 and 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I believe Eldad and Medad, from that day when the Spirit of God came on them and started to prophesy, they had prophesied things that people had never heard before. And I believe their name is written there. My name is written there. Brother, if you're saved, and sister, you're saved, your name is written there. And so when the Lord looks and finds my name there, there's no lake of fire for me. There's no lake of fire for you. So I would like to ask everyone this evening, is your name on his hands? And is your name in his book? In Numbers 11, verse 26, some people believe, as I said, these two men were two brothers. 
Now, they are actually brothers, as it were, to the flesh. They are of the seed of Abraham. See, Isaac, and Isaac shall they seed be called, the Lord said. They are the seed of Isaac, seed of Jacob. Of course, they are brothers in that sense. But are they brothers as to family connection brothers? We don't know when we're not told, but they became brothers according to the Spirit. Think about this. They are definitely brothers in the Lord. They're definitely brothers in the Spirit, it says, and the Spirit of the Lord rested upon them. Rested upon them. You see, they could say, and we, you and I could say many things. We could say, you know, Eldad, Medad, Ken and Gary, or Gary and Arne, or whatever, you know, we, we're brothers. We're brothers in the Lord. But if you're not in the Lord, you could say, even if you're of the same family, we're brothers in a family. Or you could even say we're brothers as to, uh, as to race, or, or through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Eldad could say to me, Dad, well, we both belong to Abraham. But it wouldn't have counted for a row of beans have they not been brothers in the Holy Ghost? Maybe you have a brother and he's saved and you're not, or maybe you're saved and he isn't. Or a sister or whatever. Must be born again, must be brothers in the Spirit. These two men were brothers according to the Spirit. It says the Spirit rested upon them. The word rested here is the word nuach. And it's the same word that's used when it talks of, on the, on the ark of, uh, of Noah, that is, rested after the flood and came and rested upon Mount Ararat. The word rested is the exact same word. So here the Spirit of God comes and he just seems to sit upon them. Oh God, would you just come and sit on us? Gives the idea of setting oneself down anywhere to take a rest. In John chapter 1, verses 10 to 13, listen to the words that John tells us. It says of the Lord Jesus, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came on to his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Verse 13 which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. There's one scholar, or one I've read anyhow, seems to think that although this speaks of us not being born, we can be blood, we can, we, we can be of the same flesh, but you must be born of God. But they also think that this verse speaks also of Christ. Listen, let me read it. Thinking this last verse also speaks of Jesus. Listen. Verse 12 says, But as many as received him, the Lord Jesus, to them the Lord Jesus gave them power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on the name of the Lord Jesus. The last verse is, which were born. Some Hebrew scholars say it means which, who was born. In other words, he is God himself come down in flesh who was born, not of blood. He wasn't born like an ordinary birth. Nor, it says, of the will of the flesh. He isn't born of Joseph. But he's born of God. The unique son of God. I 
Listen to the words of Christ himself. John chapter 3, verses 5. Pardon me, 3 to 6. The Lord Jesus says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. El dad, me dad. dad. You, you know, you're born of the flesh, it's flesh, you know. We're two brothers of the flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Moses, these men, they're, they're prophesying, and they're not here at the tabernacle. Surely it has to be the, the religious order of the day. Surely God must be in this big place. I, I've, I've mentioned this before. Some of you have maybe heard it, but I remember uh, years ago, my mom took ill. She's dead 20 years now, and she took ill, and, uh, and there was an inoperable brain tumor she took. And my dad had taken her away uh, to, to, to be prayed for, her. and he says to me later, I met him that, that night, and I says, where did you go? He says, well, I went down to, and he mentioned this big, well, it was in Don's Cathedral. And he went down, and he says, like, I just sort of thought, son, surely if we go into there, the size of that big place, God is there. The Lord dwelleth not in temples that are made with hands. But he dwells in you and me. Joshua says, Moses, these men here, something different about them. Moses recognizes it and he says, are you worried I'll lose my position, Joshua? Are you worried the people will go after them instead of me, Joshua? He says, oh, if only all of them were filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to prophesy. Can you imagine if you went out into Guildford? Can you imagine if you went to where your town is? Or your village or wherever you live? Can you imagine if you went up the street and everybody comes out filled with the Holy Ghost and begins to prophesy? Could you imagine Britain, a nation full of men and women all over, starting to prophesy? The Holy Ghost just comes and he, he sits on them. He rests on them. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit, Jesus says. Reminds me of that old song. Born of the Spirit, with life from above, into God's family divine, justified fully through Calvary's love. Oh, what a standing is mine. And the transaction so quickly was made when as a sinner I came Took off the offer of grace he did proffer. He saved me. Oh, praise his dear name. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole. My sins were washed away. And my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Bless him. We're not told what these two men prophesied. 
But here's just two things I've written down as I've prayed over this, thought about it, meditated on it. One thing we must recognize is these two men couldn't help themselves but prophesy. These two men couldn't help themselves but preach. And these two men couldn't help themselves but carry on because it says in verse 25, they prophesied and did not cease. The Holy Ghost came on them. The Holy Ghost rested on them. And they were changed. They were different. The Holy Ghost sat on them. They couldn't help themselves. And they started to prophesy through the camp. Unashamed, undeterred. When the Spirit of the Lord rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. And so verses 26, 27 says they prophesied in the camp. Do you know the Septuagint and the Syriac well, the Septuagint basically is the, the, the Old Testament written in Greek. But Septuagint and also the Syriac says it this way, that they prophesied and they could not cease or stop. And then from that day, they never prophesied again. See, they weren't in the New Covenant God came, and then he lifted back. What a blessing to be under the new covenant, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. He's with us always. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You see, here's the difference. Here's the difference. How blessed is the man and the woman, even if it's just the one time? How blessed is that man and woman to be used by God in any small way at all, even if they're only mentioned in two verses? How blessed are we when God chooses to use us for his glory? Two men, two verses in a small way. It seems like nothing. It seems inadequate. But it was from God. It was off God. It was by God. It was recorded in God's book and glory. Does this not show you and I how feeble man is. And how feeble man is in the economy of the Holy Ghost. They didn't prophesy till the Spirit rested. They couldn't prophesy until the Spirit rested. It shows us that without God's Spirit, we are dead. Without God's Spirit, we're lifeless. And without God's Spirit, we are nothing but lifeless masses of flesh and blood. That's all we are. Does this not show us how lost, how empty, how depraved, how corrupt we are without the unction of the divine involvement and interference? Does this not let us see that one minute they're men in tune with heaven? And the next, they're simply men of terra firma. Listen, brothers and sisters, people say, you get up there and it seems so easy. Really? I get up here in weakness every single time. Weakness. I'm a man of terra firma. I'm a man of flesh and blood. 
But when the Spirit rests, when the anointing comes, you're like David, for by thee have I run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. See, he makes the difference. And God is close. When the anointing is on, a man and a woman, they feel invincible. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They prophesied they did not cease. And who could blame them? Prophesying all day. Who could blame them? The heart whom God has touched. The soul whom God has rested on. The life which God has blessed. Which is alive. Which has been translated from darkness to life. From death to light. From death unto life. From slavery and bondage. Into freedom and liberty. Who can blame them that when the Spirit of God came on them, their life changed in an instance? You see, that's the difference. It's when the Spirit of God comes, you're different. You can't be the same. And these men were not the same. Who can blame them for prophesying? Like the, the, the apostles in Acts 4 and 20 says when they were arrested, but we cannot but speak of the things which we have both seen and heard. We can't help ourselves. And when you get up there and, 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 and preach and, you know, you, you yell and bawl and get on and you walk up and down the aisle sometimes cheering and praising. Do you know why? I can't help myself. I step out of here and I go home and everybody goes away. I sit down and I put the comfies on. I don't go to bed with a suit on, believe it or not. But I, I go and put the comfies on. I get a mug of tea in my hand and maybe even a cereal or a bit of toast or something. I'm just like every Joe Bloggs. But when we meet together in the Spirit of God, come <laughs> that's a difference. That's a difference. I'm closing, thank you. In Numbers 11, it tells us of these men, it says, they prophesied, the word prophesied is the word nava, and it means to speak under the influence of the divine spirit. It means to cause, to bubble, and to pour forth words abundantly, to declare the words of God to men, to speak with ardor and divine emotion of the mind. That's the idea of this. These men, their hearts and their minds, their emotions were caught up by God. Caught up by God. As I said, we're not told what they speak, but nevertheless, we can assume after biblical pattern that they would have had a call to the nation to repentance a turning from their sin and a turning to God, a turning away from idols to worship the one and true living God, a turning to service of Christ or the Master. But it is possible that they prophesied God's unending, everlasting love for his own elect. Here's my closing thoughts on their name. Numbers eleven twenty six. the name of the one was El-Dad. El-Dad. El means God. El, El, Elohim, Elion, and so on, God. El means God. Dad is actually Dod, and it means, listen, object of love. One who is beloved. Dod means a love token or a token of love. And when they're placed together, it means this is God's one his token of love to you. (laughs) 
Any wonder the Lord rested on this man? This is my beloved son, he said, in whom I'm well pleased. The beloved one of the Father. So then he wondered when he was going around, he was saying, this is a token of my love. This is, his blood will be like the lamb upon the doorpost and the door lintels that you came through out of Egypt and across the Red Sea and were redeemed unto me. He says, it's going to be like that. It means it'll be a token. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, God said. Here the same idea is, he's saying, I am the love token of God. Look what he's done. And the Spirit was speaking through him. The love token set with reverence is the Lord Jesus Christ who hung and bled and died for all of us. It says in Numbers eleven twenty six, the name of the other was Medad. And Medad simply means love. It comes from a root word that means is Yadad. It means to throw or to cast lots. You cast a lot. The high priest used to put his hand in and bring out the Urim or Thummim, the little stones for decision. They were casting lots for decision in Israel. It's the same idea. And so it means to cast. What does God say? To cast a lot. So one comes and says, I am the token of God's love. You're my beloved. The other one comes and just proclaims love, but it means God has cast his love over you. Israel, listen. You feel like you're in the wilderness. You feel like you're lost forever. You feel you've been under so much bondage in, uh, over in Egypt there. You've, you feel like you've nothing to eat at times or to drink. But I want to let you know under the spirit of the anointing of the Lord, God has cast his love over you. He has drawn it, as it were, his lot for you're in his divine favor. Brothers and sisters, you are in his divine favor. God has cast his lot over you. He gave you a love token in the person of his son the Lord Jesus Christ. Eldad and Medad, stop them, Joshua says. And Moses says, <laughs> would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. My prayers would God that all of us became prophets. The Lord would put his spirit on each and every one of us, wherever we are. God bless his word to us. For Jesus' name's sake.